Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Hey, Asher, how's your week been? Well, we can rename this podcast Pets and Liquids, right? Because primarily that's what we talk about, our pets and our favorite liquids. And frequently liquids that come out of our pets. But I'm on my annual coffee sabbatical. Is sabbatical the right word? I'm not drinking coffee and it's bad. I think sabbatical is a positive thing. I think it's sabbatical if you are studying something else instead and are at the end planning on producing a report. (laughs) Okay, uh, I am studying the art of tea and I will report back about how miserable I am a month from now. I'm excited to see your thesis. This is actually a, a, a vanilla almond English breakfast blend and it's delicious. Not gonna lie. See, that's one thing that's nice about tea is that the name of that tea, you didn't even say the word tea, but it had like 11 different names to it. And when I say coffee, it's just, I'm gonna have a, a black coffee. Right. Or I'm gonna have a, a white coffee. Right, and, and the more like British, you can just like British adjacent words. Like, I'm going to have a Rockport gull by the bay. I don't know. Anything like anything like that. It's just the fact that one of the most famous teas is called the English breakfast is more elegant than anything I've ordered at a coffee shop. Like, sure, some of mine are Italian sounding, but Cortado is cool sounding. English breakfast, vanilla almond English breakfast hot tea. Mm. That's a long name. You can only get long names like that if you're ordering something from Starbucks and you are and your name has like four extra ends in it or something. Like my name is Kaylin and I would like a vanilla almond chai with four pumps of extra pumpkin spice and 11 pumps of extra cocaine and a couple pumps of extra espresso and four more espresso shots on top of that because I don't want to live. <laughs> And that's the only real way you can get a ton of names in a coffee drink. Cortado is my favorite Halo character. Yeah. Well, remember when they added Cortado to uh, just the Microsoft interface and it's basically like Siri, but you have to get rid of Cortado every time? It's basically Siri, but you just want her to leave. <laughs> uh, thank that's, God. I that... think, isn't the, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can edit out all my stammering there. I won't. Thanks. I'm almost positive the most searched question by Cortana is, hey, Cortana, how do I turn Cortana off? It's like when you're downloading Chrome on a new Windows computer and you say in Internet Explorer, the number one searched thing is Google Chrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this extra step. Or even on a MacBook, a lot of the times people say, OK, yes, yeah, Safari, I'd like you to show me how to download something that isn't Safari. But I, I'm drinking a, and this is not an ad, although we would love an ad from these people, a cold brew coffee from Stumptown. And I guess on this can, the amount of words is more than your tea. So it says Stumptown Coffee Roasters Original Nitro Cold Brew. I could add more words to uh, infuse with nitrogen, perishable refrigerate, highest quality, good luck. But I think most people would just call this a cold brew. Yeah maybe a nitro cold brew if they're trying to impress you but right and those are all just names they couldn't decide on like they couldn't pick just one so they slapped them all in a can it just it could just be called nitro could just be called the cold brew could just be called stump town coffee and it's just a bunch of stuff they put on there 
because partially it's part of the brand. The, the branding design is, hey, we've got a ton of stuff and we're going to put all of it on the front of the can. I love that style of marketing where it's one of these is going to work. I'm pretty sure Subway's been doing that since 1985. It's an easy way not to hire a copywriter. You just sit in a room with everybody and you have everybody shout out a word and somebody frantically write them down. And then that's how we have the words good luck on this can of cold brew. And I've been looking at this cold brew for maybe an hour and a half. I have no idea what good luck has to do with it. Good luck is way funnier if they put that right after the caffeine content. <laughs> 350 milligrams. Good luck. This is made. I think this is canned by the same company that makes mason jars because it has that ball uh, lettering on the side. Neat. But cool, cool, cool. As I'm looking at this can, all I can think is, wow. Which brings us to what we're talking about today, which is the <laughs> wow. We're talking about wow signal. Okay. We really did just spend another intro talking about liquids, and I'm not really, I mean, I'm fine with that. Um, I would love to at some point address the fact that you thought we were talking about our dog's liquids at some point, and I don't remember us ever doing that in the 60, now 61 episodes we've recorded. I mean, we've talked about plenty of pet fluids, I'm sure. I'm sure it's shown up on the show. I can't specifically remember one in my head, although I couldn't tell you what we talked about four weeks ago. So you want to talk about the wow signal? Yeah, so we're not talking about a famed Hollywood comedy actor, right? We are not talking about Owen Wilson, but every time I say the word wow, I'm going to put a clip of him saying it in the episode. That's a lot of extra work because I'm going to hear that in my head anyways. So I'm already doing the editing for you in my brain. But if you want to put it in, let's dive in. So the, the wow. signal is more than just actually, you probably know nothing about it. Now nothing. that I'm thinking about it, all I when I say the wow. signal, you think, OK, is this the the clip from last year where they edited? Uh, wow. Instead of the lightsaber noises. That's a good one. Uh, but yeah, so on August 15th, 1977, Mr. Jerry Emmon was working as an astronomer at a radio telescope at Ohio University, where he picked up on a signal sequence which lasted for 72 seconds from the constellation Sagittarius, which is, I think, I'm going to get completely thrown off by actual astrology people. I think that's May through June, but let me check. What kind of aminal is that? A Sagittarius? Yeah. The horoscope Sagittarius is the archer. Oh, okay. Not an aminal. Well, I Not mean, an aminal. Kind of a, one of those half-human, half-horse creatures I'm forgetting the name of. Uh, centaur. Centaur, not a satyr. Satyr's the goat one. Did you say half-creature, half-horse? Um, maybe. Were you, were you forgot the word for what we are? A people's? A people's, yeah. A half people's, half horse. So uh, Sagittarius is actually no November 22nd to December 21st. I don't know why I said May to June. All I know is that I'm a Libra. I'm a Pisces. Fish boy. Know. Fish boy, uh, which is uh, now the name of our podcast is uh, Libra and Fish Boy. <laughs> um, sequel, uh, not as good to Shark Boy and Lop Girl. But yeah, so he was so shocked that in his notes from that night, he wrote in big letters, Next to the uh, next to the signal sequence record, the word "Wow." <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So it it actually is the response, right? It's the phrase "Wow." Like it's not that's not an abbreviation for something. I thought W O W would stand for something. 
No, this isn't World of Warcraft or anything like that. This is genuinely just the reason it's called the wow. signal is because in the photo that they scanned of the printout signal report, he has circled the signal sequence that is important and then put. Wow. This happened at an, an Ohio University, so it's incredible that it's not called the Nito signal. Nito uh, single. But yeah, he only noticed this a couple days later, looking at the printout of the signal at the kitchen table and circling the sequence of symbols. And this is important, but we'll address it later. So you don't have to memorize this. Six E Q U J five. And so the questions that arise here are threefold, in my opinion. One, did Mr. Emmon witness an alien? Two, what kind of message from this alien did he witness? And three, and most importantly, is wow. the appropriate response. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so all of this has been kind of completely up for speculation until around June of 2015, because in 2015, an astronomer from St. Petersburg College announced that he had solved the case and attributed it to two separate comets that passed Earth on that day in 1977. This is this has quickly been disproven by a variety of experts, specifically the wow. man himself, who said the telescope he had used two feeding horn or feed horns, which would have captured different signals if it were two comets, but it was just one. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I also know that Asher, you don't know what a feed horn is. No. <laughs> because I also don't know what a feed horn is. And if you are a listener that knew what a feed horn was. Uh, give us a tweet or something or comment on our Instagram post because uh, I'd be impressed. Yeah, they're too smart to be listening to this. But I can understand that you have two things and he's saying, no, listen, I would have known it was two things. This was one thing. Basically, I Googled Feedhorn just so you would know. If you knew what this was, why are you listening to this and not an NPR podcast? But I Googled it. Basically, it's a receptor thing connected to the satellite dish where it reads the signal as it's reflected off of the dish and it filters out unwanted signals by only allowing specific polarity waves. And I don't fully know how it would separate two signals, but I think a real scientist would. But the question here that I think you are probably having, I know it's the one I have, why do people believe these signals are aliens? Yeah, and I'm also trying to understand how this signal that is being received is being interpreted into letters and numbers in the from the Greco-Roman alphabet. So I'll explain all of that. But first, we'll talk about why aliens make sense here. OK, 18, 18 years earlier, two Cornell physicists tried to imagine how aliens might would contact Earth. And they decided that radio signals made the most sense because they're a cheap to produce, b don't require much energy and c travel vast distances across space. OK, so they're kind of a universal standard and why we should be looking for radio transmissions. Uh, and there were a lot of other qualifications for what kind of radio transmissions made sense, like what frequency and stuff. But basically, we should be looking for a specific kind of radio signal. And in August 15th, my sister's birthday. Cool. August 15, 1977. We got it. And the way radio signals like this are recorded are the letters and numbers are a measure of the intensity of the electromagnetic signal. So basically, the letters are for when they run out of numbers because the way they record it can only do one uh, symbol at a time. So it couldn't be like 42. It had to go to letters. So it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, A, B, C. Okay. 
What's interesting, if you look at his, the record he has of this, which if you're looking on Instagram now, you will see a photo of Owen Wilson. And if you swipe to the right, you'll see this, uh, this signal sheet. But the way it looks, the highest thing on here is a seven and they've circled a seven. But then you get to what the actual symbols are. And do you remember what they are for curiosity's sake? No. Okay. Fun game. Knew, knew you would fail. Fun game, though. It's 6EQUJ5. And the craziness about that is it makes Q and U super interesting, especially considering the stuff as high as six and seven were anomalies. Other than the six and the seven on the board, the highest thing was a four. And that was rare, too. Like most of these are ones. A U, according to the wow. man, is about 30 times louder than the ordinary noise of deep space. And he considered that a kind of hello. So, OK, that makes a lot more sense because I was trying to unpack why aliens would use this strength of the signal to spell out words and that they were intentionally trying to spell a word in English. But the letters are not being used as a form of like actually forming words. It's just to show the strength of the signal. And they are it's really rare that you get a letter at all. Right. Because you have to reach nine for it to pass into A and then up to, I imagine, Z because they need unique right. characters. So he's not really even it's not even so much the letters themselves, but the fact that they indicate a, a level of intensity that's over the number scale. Right. And so I think you and I should sit for a sec and try and agree what we think our theory on this kind of alien stuff is. I don't think I don't think we w I think it would take a long time between us hearing the first alien message and us actually translating what that says. And so I don't think it makes any sense for us to believe, OK, these letters Q, U, J or whatever, E, Q, U, J are a message and using this as a scale for basically intensity of the the transmission makes it seem way more like an actual alien message, right? Yeah. And you knew I was going to get to this. This just seems like textbook confirmation bias, right? Because they they're starting with the assumption that radio waves is how an alien would communicate. They're searching for that signal. They have the intention of finding it. That's what they want to hear. That's what they want to see. And so you get this anomaly and they immediately attribute what they're looking for to that anomaly, even though, I mean, it could have been three comments. Who knows? Right. So let me let me just play Xenomorph's advocate here and say that, yes, it is confirmation bias. And I am absolutely playing into that right now as now as well. But the idea that these are aliens seems more likely to me than a lot of other options. And because of a couple things. A, a lot of these signals are really common, like stuff like six and seven is more common elsewhere other than this telescope. But he's pretty much only intercepting radio signals from outer space, which is important to recognize. And this noise could certainly be two comets together. It couldn't be one comet because it was way louder than that or way more intense than that. But it could be a natural gas explosion on another planet or something, of course. Okay. But the idea that it could be aliens is not that ridiculous. And the frustrating mystery is that a completely it's a completely reliable machine that recorded the anomaly. And there's almost nothing else we could realistically claim it is. 
all Jerry Emmon, the wow man, is saying is that he's been able to eliminate a decent amount of possibilities, and aliens are one of them that he can't realistically cross off. No, you never can. That's always going to be there. Right, because you can't disprove something that we don't know how it exists. How's the saying go? Can't can't prove a negative or something like that? Can't disprove a negative? Yeah. One of the two. If there's something that I think is probably out there, but I don't know any details beyond that, there is. it is hard for me to find any facts to prove, oh, it's not that that I just heard, other than finding out exactly what it is. Do we know if there's anything about this signal that other than the irregularity and the strength of the signal. Is there anything that seems more mechanical? Do you know what I mean? Like it seems more manufactured. Like if it was, because if it was a signal that had like a pattern, right? If he was looking at the signal and it was like 7L, 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 you know, seeing these huge consistent spikes, that would seem very intentionally designed. Whereas a sudden spike reads to me as like an explosion, uh, any any sort of release of energy. So a couple things. One, a part of it had to do with the actual frequency where it was. The two scientists from Cornell said it would probably be around uh, 1,420 megahertz, lol. Um, but this one was... 1,420.4556, which is insanely close to it. Mm. So that is convenient um, as to what the scientists believed. But also, there are a couple other issues with it. For one, if it was an alien transmission, wouldn't you believe that the aliens would send more than one message? Yes, unless they're blasting radio waves in just all different directions and they're trying to cover their bases Right, but logically all beings would try and reach out at least twice. Because if you reach out, especially for large planets that they could tell potentially have life and large galaxies that they see going on, I don't know how our galaxy ranks, but I imagine, and most scientists agree with me here, and it's probably why I imagine it, but that they would probably say it again. And because they would not have, they would have not heard anything and say, okay, let's try again just for safety's sake. But another uh, another thing I kind of was just thinking about is the idea that so if you look at the numbers six E Q U J five, it kind of works as a a pyramid of getting quieter to louder to quieter again. Right. Okay, that's kind of what I was talking about. So six. I mean, but all noises loosely work like that. Sure. Because no noise is actually as staccato as musical notes may make you think or annotations, I guess. I don't remember what kind of term that is, but staccato is basically like real quick, succinct noises that happen. Whereas this was six is quiet, E is significantly louder, but not as loud as Q. U is even louder, but J is quieter than Q and U, and then five is back to pretty quiet, and then nothing again, right? Yeah, all sound is just wiggly air. That's a good point, and I'm glad you brought that up for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm saying you're always going to see that fluctuation because that's you. That's what you were saying. I was. The issue and difference here is that most of these are if like the longest other signal is three, six, one, three. Well, no, there's one that's four, three, four, four, one, 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 which makes me think that the way this is recording signals and this is entirely speculation that I'm coming up with on the spot, but makes me think that the way they're recording signals 
is uh, usually includes and accounts for the growth and decline of each signal because there are a lot of here, like there's one that's just seven. So it's just a quick seven. And so they would ignore the one, two, three, four, five, six that naturally has to be in between zero and seven, ah, right? Ah, okay, I see, I see. It makes me think that the this long and dramatic growth in intensity and decline in intensity would have been something more than just an explosion somewhere or a meteor passing. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So this the series of numbers also implies that it's happening over a, a considerable length of time, right? I believe so. There are some here that are longer series of numbers, but there are none that do the same thing of declining or of increasing and declining. Guess I should have picked verbs there that match well, like climbing and declining or increasing and decreasing. But, you know. OK, well, eager to get to this. Now we can stop arguing semantics. Uh, did they send anything back? So from what I could find, they didn't ever send anything back, which is the frustrating part. But I think a big part of it was that, I don't know, I couldn't find anything about why they said why they didn't send anything back. But my question is, do we want to potentially send something back if we don't know where it came from? Heck, yeah. Let's go to the bear. I think what Jerry Emmon and the rest of the team and the rest of Earth has at this point been doing is it's important to note, I think we don't know where this came from. So just sending it into a random direction may have not been effective. But we could also claim that I don't know where this mystery transition or transmission was fired from. Do I really want to fire back? This is louder than anything we've ever made. How do we know that they are not light years ahead of us and are just willing to um, take it from us? It's bait. Can't take the bait. Well, so this is the assumption that any sort of other life on another planet is advanced enough to produce a signal that's this strong over that distance, then they must be they must be in possession of advanced weapons, advanced space travel, advanced everything else. And these aliens could kick our ass. Yeah, so I'm taking it straight from the little Dicky song where he asks, do we think like, do we think we could actually fight with their their military? And he goes, does Earth go hard? <laughs> I don't know if Earth actually goes hard. And if these aliens are sending the uh, these messages across this far, maybe they're waiting for a response or waiting for bounce back or something to see, OK, we'd love to take that planet over because a lot of people nowadays with the climate change argument and everything are thinking, OK, let's get Beesbos or uh, Musk to send us to the moon and we can try and colonize that and live there. Or we'll find life on Mars and we could find a new planet for us to live on. Do you think we're the only planet thinking like that at all? I mean, it didn't take us long to get to this point, so probably no, not. it did not. And so that's my theory is that. Another the biggest reason they didn't send a signal back is because you don't want to send a signal back when you don't know what the first signal is. Although, on the other hand, it is a little rude. Yeah, they're wondering why they didn't get a second signal. Left them on red. <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's wow signal. That's a highly technical story for the UFO crowd. I imagine they love that because that it just seems so much more credible than, than most everything else. Yeah. And it it makes it where it seemed it I've kind of viewed this as one of the best examples of actually um, real evidence of aliens, because 
a lot of times, and it's not, it doesn't have to be exactly claimed as evidence, but this is one of the best arguments of stuff that's hard to argue isn't aliens. Yeah, and there's well-documented hard data there. Uh, granted, you're applying that hard data to something that it doesn't necessarily indicate, but it is quantifiable real data. The whole idea is, I thought this one was really fun because this scientist on his own found it through this signal that years before other scientists kind of exactly predicted. It's neat to me that that's the part of it that interests me so much is that this received frequency is exactly what other scientists told them was going to happen. And it's cool because it makes me think this is just like a little over 40 years ago now. So likely we're going to learn, be continuing to learn so much more about aliens in the, in the coming years. Well, just because you live in Ohio doesn't mean you have to spend your days listening to the cold vacuum of space. Why not fill those airwaves with some good tunes? You could start with Glenn Merle. He wrote our theme song, Threadbare. It's off the album Burn to Proof. You can check it out. GlenMerleMusic.com, Spotify, iTunes, any place that streams music. I would recommend blasting that song into space so that aliens get a good idea of the best of, of Earth culture. And maybe if you blast it loud enough, they'll get some Q's, U's, and J's on there. If you want to see anything we're talking about, we'll be posting about all of our stuff on our social media. We'll be posting about it on our Instagram, which is Strictly Confidential Show. And if you want to email us anything, shoot us an email at strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We, we take anything on there. You could send us more links like this, uh, more a YouTube video if you wanted. You could send us pretty much anything you want, a selfie if you're interested. If you knew what a, uh, what is it called? Uh, a free horn, a, a, fee, a feed horn was beforehand, tell us why and tell us why you're lying to us. You know all those files that are sitting around and cluttering your desktop? That's where those go. Don't make a junk folder. Send them to us. I don't know that I want that. When did we just become trash collectors? We're your digital trash men. I guess we could serve that purpose. We're garbage collectors on the World Wide Web. Feed us your trash. That would be a pretty good trailer for this show. <laughs> a pretty simple tagline. We're, we're trash collectors for the World Wide Web. Send us your trash. <laughs> New podcast idea. If you have a best friend, and I hope you do, because everyone needs a friend to get by in this life, you guys have similar tastes, and if you enjoyed this show, they probably will too. Turns out word of mouth is the best way for any product, including this podcast, to grow. So if you like it, tell them you like it. They'll probably give it a shot. And then, I think that's all we do, actually. Yeah, I think so. I think that's all we do. This episode is going to be buck wild easy with transitions and the things we always struggle a little bit with because I know what I'm doing here at the end. And you do too. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, as always, I'm Jackson. And I've been Asher. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And make sure to... Wow. It wasn't even a question. There wasn't even like any room for creativity there. It was essential. I, I don't even like it, to be honest. <laughs> 